Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Julie and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, February 11th and we are reading from the big book and we are on page 20 starting with Now These Are. Today's readers are Du, Larry, and Marjorie. The reference number for Monday, February 10th, is 5902. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has that one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Edith to read the 12 steps. Hi, this is Edith, a grateful recovering compulsive overeater in Alabama. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for his knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you. I will now ask Rachel to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Rachel, compulsive overeater and anorexic. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, 
The only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. 4. Each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. 5. Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. 6. An OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. 7. Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. 8. Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. 9. OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Rachel. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 20, paragraph that starts with, now these are commonplace observations. The order for the readers will be Du, Marjorie, and Janice M. So I would like to ask Du to begin reading. Press star 1, do, to unmute. Um, Star 1, do. Well, Marjorie, can you please go first, and we'll go to do second. Good morning. This is Marjorie. I'm on page Thank 20. You. Now, these are yes, common. Ma'am. I think there's, a, is there an echo on the line, or is someone else speaking? 
Now, these are commonplace observations on drinkers, which we hear all the time. Back of them is a world of ignorance and misunderstanding. We see that these expressions refer to people whose reactions are very different from ours. Should I read more than that or stop there? Yes, go ahead and read the next paragraph. Moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely if they have good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. I'm Marjorie. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. The ideas that come out of these paragraphs allow me to focus very personally on where do I fit in. I can ask myself whether those observations that were in the preceding paragraphs apply to me. Can I drink like a like a gentle lady or quit? Can I handle my my compulsive overeating? Um, can I eat only the foods from the health food store? Can I eat only foods that have uh, sugar listed five or beyond on the ingredients list? Those are questions that I can ask myself. And this is a paragraph that we just read that allows me to go back and ask myself those very questions. I don't have to fit myself into something that doesn't fit. This is not the Cinderella story, and I am not the the stepsister. There are shoes here that actually will fit me, and if I haven't found them yet, then I can keep on reading. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Marjorie. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Lauren S. Go ahead, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you. Lauren S. Recovered compulsive overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's important to identify yourself in these paragraphs. Are you the moderate drinker or eater? Are you the hard eater? And are you the real compulsive overeater? And it is important. So whenever you say in a room, hi, I'm a compulsive overeater, you know in your heart that you are. And then you can recover from this disease and then sponsor other women and help and men and help them. When I, I realized when I was reading this for the first time that I was not a moderate compulsive overeater because I did have trouble giving up food entirely if I was given a good reason. I could not take it or leave it alone. I was not a moderate eater. The word moderate means not violent or subject to extremes. Mild, calm, temperate, of average quantity. And I could not eat average quantities of food. I could not do the whole... I could not do normal serving sizes. I could not do one-twelfth of a package. I needed the whole entire package and more. I could not. I, I was I was a violent eater. I was a violent eater. Um, you know, one bite later and, and five minutes later, I'm, I'm in the trash room eating leftovers from strangers that they threw away. I was eating 
frozen foods two minutes later that were burning the inside of my cheeks. So, okay. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren. Would anyone else like to share in this paragraph? Press star one to unmute. This is Janice. Thank you, Janice. Go ahead. Thank you, Julie and everyone. My name is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Well, these two paragraphs, you know, it's it's the beginning of, um, you know, explaining to us, um, you know, where what category we fit in as a compulsive overeater. Now, they know this. The, the, the pioneers, these recovered alcoholics, know this because they've observed it, and some of them have experienced it. So now they're going to explain about three different types. And then, of course, just we're going to be just doing the first type. Um, you know, when I used to eat, I used to try like anything to just have one or two or whatever it was and stop. But I did not understand. I did not understand. I didn't know. That's the ignorance. I didn't know that when I put that substance in my mouth, my mouth that it would, you know, create an, um, a phenomenon of craving. I didn't know about that. And I just couldn't understand why I couldn't do it. And that's just without knowledge. So, um, you know, a normal eater has different reactions. They react differently to certain substances than I did. You know, I used to, you know, hide or try to control what I ate. Normal people don't have to control. Uh, They just don't. They just stop. You know, I, I never had to control asparagus because I just don't eat it. I don't like it. So when when I had to control something, then I knew I had a problem with it. I, of course, I didn't know it right away. And, of course, the moderate drinker, this is what they're talking about here. Um, the moderate drinker is different. You know, um, if they have a good reason, like they're getting married or they're, you know, the doctor maybe told them, and then they would say, well, yeah, okay, the doctor told me, so I'm going to stop. But not me, not a compulsive overeater, a real compulsive overeater. That wouldn't scare me. Nothing scared me, maybe for a little while, but then I would be right back to the races, you know. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Would anyone else like to share? This is Bella. Can I share? Yes, go ahead, Bella. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I'm a thankful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, Julie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. I love this paragraph because it brings me in a very simple way how to start my meaningful life. Now, it's a reminder, Bella, please live now. Now is the present. Don't go to the past, to the ignorance and misunderstanding. Don't look to live in the future because the future is anxious. Live now, the present. Now, it's the same thing like we, we are in the car and we don't know the way. So we are using a GPS. But for the GPS to be able to tell us how to go, the directions, we first we have to tell the, the GPS where we are now. According to where we are, this is the direction that he will give us. And this is the same thing. You know, we have to know 
where we are now, which kind now, this minute, how we, we figure it out where we are. And then when we realize where we are, in which kind, how I call myself, if I am a moderator drinker or not, if I am a compulsive eater or not, then I will know the direction. Now, how I will live the now, when I go before the paragraph before, when it says uh, to ask question, what do I have to do? Yes, it's my responsibility to figure it out where I am now, exactly where I am now, not to blame nobody else. It's my responsibility. And if I don't know, well, you have a choice to ask questions. It's okay. You don't have to know all the answers all the time. You are allowed to ask questions and to figure it out where you are now. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Anyone else like to share? This is Sue? Yes, cool. I do. Go ahead. Good morning. I'm so sorry about that. I had technical difficulties trying to unmute. Um, this is Duke, uh, Recover Compulsive Overeater. What I see from these two paragraphs is really awesome to see. Um, you know, if we go to page 44, um, the first paragraph, it says, we hope uh, in the preceding chapters you have learned something of alcoholism. We hope we have made the clear distinction between the alcoholic and non-alcoholic. So uh, I'm so glad that uh, we get to read that because this is the paragraph. These are the paragraphs which you're going to make the distinction between the non-alcoholic versus the alcoholic. So now we're talking about the non-alcoholic, the person that can actually moderate, the person that doesn't really get the allergy of the body, the mental obsession, because they don't have it. <laughs> they can push it away. They can leave it alone. They can, um, you know, they can moderate their food. Um, you know, they go to a diet club. Guess what? It works for them because they, they don't have the allergic reaction like the compulsive overeater that binges their brains off. So here it says, we see that these expressions refer to people whose reactions are very different from ours. It's making the very clear distinction that these people are nothing like us. And then it gives us the example. It says moderate drinkers have little trouble giving up liquor entirely if they have good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. As a compulsive overeater, I can't do that. Once I, I, I set off the phenomenon of craving in my mouth by taking that first bite of my binge foods, I can't seem to control it. But these people is clearly stating they can. They can leave it alone. So it's really good for me to see this because uh, when the big book talks about that, you know, that I am affected bodily and mentally and that my body and my mind is quite abnormal, then I can understand that. I can understand that I am physically and bodily and mentally different. There's no question about it. Because these people are able to do something that I can't as a compulsive overeater. And that's the difference. And it's telling us here. It's giving us example after example after example. You know, that they don't have 
a comprehension. They don't have an understanding of what a compulsive overeater goes through. As a matter of fact, they they tell us all these things, you know, like why can't you leave it alone or why can't you take it? Why can't you just push away from the table? You know, why can't you just moderate and just take a piece? Why can't you just exercise it off? Why can't you just be on a diet and be like everybody else? Well, you know, because I'm a compulsive overeater. I can't do that. I can't pull that off. I need a program that shows me how to do this work. And that's why I'm here and I'm reading this book. With that, I pass. Thank you, Do. Anyone else like to share in this This paragraph? This is Paula. May I share? Yes, Paula. Thank you. And thank you, Julie. You know, we see on the first paragraph, I want to just look, it says, we see that these expressions refer to people whose reactions are very different from ours. We have to see that. How can you make them understand something that they cannot possibly understand? It took me years to finally understand and see it myself, that I am different. And I expect them to. They can't. You know, and I, and I'm, you know even um, Lincoln himself said, I do not have that kind of thirst. People do not have this kind of hunger. This kind of hunger for, for food that will not fail. And then I like, I'm not going to liken it, but the reality is this is what it is. Modern drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely if they have good reason for it. Oh, yeah, going on a cruise? Oh, there you go. Get down to that size. May I say that it was not the same size I came home at. Going to a party, oh, boy, and it's not for another month or so? Oh, yeah, get there. They have good reason for it. I could do it. I could never continue to do it. They can take it or leave it alone. Oh, no. Oh, no. Not here. This is when I knew. I could not take it and leave it alone. Once I took it, it took me. Choice was taken away. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. All right. Hi, this is Cynthia. May I share? Yes, Cynthia, go ahead. Thank you. Um, The reason that these these words in the big book are so important to me is that um, it it helps me to know the truth about my condition, and it's only when I know the truth about my condition. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Hi, it's Linda from Connecticut. I'd like to share. Go ahead, Linda. Hi. Uh, I am a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, and I recall that there was a. There have been times in my life, uh, you know, many years ago when I was a kid, I could diet with the best of them. Boy, I looked great and. I felt great. I had no idea. I'd never heard of this disease. And uh, I got into the program eventually because I couldn't stay stopped. But I could diet, boy. 
and then I came into the program and then I could abstain because it was, I don't know how you describe it, confused OA. And it was dieting with group support and a little God thrown in there. And um, and I could abstain. It's not the same thing as learning the program and being becoming um, recovered through the 12 steps as they're outlined in this book. Recovered is entirely different. I don't want to eat, and I have a way far beyond tools, although they're very important, far beyond the fellowship, although that's critically important too. I have a way to not overeat and not want it, and that's a relationship with God. And I can't do it without the whole kit, the whole kit, the the, the big book, the steps, the sponsor, and a village full of people that teach me how to live. And God is using all these folks. So I'm very grateful. I don't care that I can diet. I really don't care. So what? I care that I'm not crazy. And I care that I love who I am now. And I love other people. Thanks. I pass. Thank you, Linda. This is Debbie from Chicago. Can I share? Yes, Debbie. Go ahead. My name is Debbie. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater, and I'm really grateful uh, for this meeting. I've been listening to it for several mornings. Um, do why don't you go ahead and read the next paragraph? Press star, star one. Good morning. This is Drew, Recover Compulsive Overeater. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Thank you. Okay, awesome. It says, then we have a certain type of hard drinker. He may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. If a, sufficient, if a sufficiently strong reason... Um, ill health, failing love, falling in love, um, change of environment, or the warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man can also stop or moderate. Although he may find it difficult or troublesome uh, and may even need medical attention. Do you want me to stop there? Yes. Thank you. Great. Well, here again you know, is giving the distinction of, you know, a real compulsive breeder over a hard drinker, a type of a hard drinker. And it says that, you know, basically this this person um, can be badly mangled physically and, and possibly mentally, you know, um, and he could possibly die, you know, from, from his drinking. But if he's given a good reason, a good reason to stop or moderate, he's able to pull it off. That's amazing. (laughs) To me, that is an amazing thing because for a compulsive overeater, it's very different. It doesn't matter what reasons we're given. Uh, I'm still going to binge my brains off to the point of almost dying, going insane, or, or, you know, being institutionalized. Um, that's, that's how I do it, you know. 
So the fact that this person can actually pull it off, if there's difficulties or he he goes into, um, he gets some medical attention, he's able to actually moderate and stop, you know? Um, and that for me is really awesome because I think of people um, that, you know, may take a medicine um, for whatever's going on with them and they might gain weight. But that doesn't make them a compulsive overeater, you know. Um, they can stop. Uh, I've seen people that, uh, you know, <laughs> they're told you need to, um, you know, for instance, to diabetic, they tell them you, you can't eat certain foods, and some of them, some of them are able to stop, you know. They're able to stop and moderate and get into a food plan, and, and they're regulated. Um, but others, they can't. If you're a true compulsive reader, you're not going to be able to pull that off. And what I see here is that, you know, this is making the clear distinction of people that can't versus the ones that can't. And with that, I pass. This is Jackie. I like This is Jackie. I like Okay. Jackie, you'll be next. I just want to acknowledge that we're having some technical difficulties, and if I cut someone off, I am... Uh, sorry about that. So go ahead, Jackie. Yes, what I, I like about this um, chapter, it talks about the moderate drinkers. And um, on on page 20, uh, on XXX in the uh, doctor's opinion, it talks about those types of, uh, the, the types. And uh, I know, for me, I fit in one of those categories. And, and as a Compulsive overeater, I always got in where I fit in, and that was in a category. See, and, and, and that's what I'm learning about myself today is that I was, I've was i always placed myself in a, in a category, and over time I would graduate to the next stage of a category. And uh, that's what this uh, Dr. Silkworth talks about over here when he talks about the, the classifications uh, of, of all the types. And, and then I, over time, became a... a Hard eater. Well, I, I could compete with the best of them. And um, that's what I came to learn about my own disease is that I didn't start out that way, but I gradually graduated to all of the stages that this book talks about, the different types. You know, I was at one point where I could take it or leave it. Then it got to the point where I couldn't take it or leave it. I had to have it. Then it got to the point that obsession plus fear equals bondage for me, and then bondage became... Uh, a bondage of self for me. So I, I became all of these types, not overnight, but over time. And like I said, now I, then I became that hard eater, that, that person who just couldn't stop. And uh, that's what it did to me. And uh, with that, thank you for letting me share. Thank you. This is Kim. Hi, Kim. Go ahead. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And this is some really important information, because if we are the moderate drinker or the moderate eater, we don't need Overeaters Anonymous. If we are the heavy eater, we do not need Overeaters Anonymous. This program is for the true compulsive overeater, the one who cannot stop, the one who needs that spiritual solution. As much as the steps are wonderful, I am forced to do the steps. I am forced because I am the real alcoholic. I'm the real compulsive overeater. 
So just to give you two examples, I have a brother that is a moderate eater. And when him and his wife sold their condo and they had, were having a house built, they had to live with his in-laws for six months. And she apparently was a wonderful cook, and he would come home every day, and she would have two desserts. And he put on like 40 pounds in six months because it was there. And once he moved into the house with his wife and there was no one cooking for him, he simply lost the weight. He's a moderate eater. He can take it or leave it alone. He put on weight because it was available. He took it off when it wasn't there and it was no big deal to him. That's the moderate eater. Now, what about the hard eater, which we just described? I, might, I have a friend that, that was a hard eater. One day, her husband came home from a business trip and said, sorry, honey, I'm leaving you for someone half your age from France. And I know we have four kids together, but bye-bye. And she fell apart. And for the next two to three years, she had to, she was, you know, dealing with this divorce. She worked part-time. She had to find a full-time job because the guy wasn't even paying child support. And if you watched her behavior, she ate just like me. The only way she could keep it together with her four kids was once they went to bed, she would binge and binge and binge. But once she accepted that their husband was gone, once she had a job where she could support her children, once she realized her kids were going to be okay, she simply bought an exercise video, took a diet out of a magazine, and she was fine. She was fine, even though she looked like me for those couple years when she was really stressed out during this divorce. That's why it's so confusing. She is not a compulsive overeater. My brother is not a compulsive overeater. I'm the real deal. It doesn't matter what the reason is. It doesn't matter if it's available or not available. I have an allergy of the body and I have an obsession of the mind. Now here's a warning. I personally, if I explain to you my 20s, and I told you, I could match a lot of alcoholics drink for drink, story for story. However, a sufficient reason happened. I got drunk. I was driving the wrong way down the highway, almost killed me and my friend. Oh, my God, I'm not drinking again. And I didn't drink. I stopped cold turkey. Now, if I was caught, if I had a DUI, I'm sure I would have been sent to AA. I would have gone to a couple meetings, probably dated a couple cute guys. Shook him, 90 meetings, 90 days, put the plug in the jug, and I would have been fine. The danger is, if I had said that that is what works in an AA meeting, I would have killed real alcoholics, because I'm not one. And that is the warning. We unfortunately have hard drinkers in our meetings that are telling us their dieting techniques, and we as compulsive overeaters are trying to diet. We're trying to diet on meetings only. We're trying to diet on just a food plan. We're trying to diet on taking a bubble bath when we're stressed. If we are the real compulsive overeater, we cannot take the advice of hard drinkers. We cannot take the advice of moderate eaters because what works for them will not work for us. And if, you, and if someone is the hard eater, if you're talking to someone and they are the hard eater or they are the moderate eater, you know, they want to come to the meetings, that's fine. But understand that they can go out and do those conventional diet programs, and they will be good. But I have to know who I am, and I am the real deal. I am seriously alcoholic. I'm a serious compulsive overeater. And the techniques that work for the moderate eaters and the techniques that work for the heavy eaters will, will not work for this compulsive overeater. And with that, I pass. Hi, I'd like to share. Thank you, Kim. And who is this? Nancy. Go ahead, Nancy. 
Thank you so much. I'm Nancy. I'm grateful. Recovered compulsive eater. And um, for years, I used to wonder why I couldn't be like my father. Um, my father was grossly obese growing up as a child. I know he weighed far in excess of 300 pounds. And um, he had a heart attack when I was 12, and uh, a serious heart attack. And the uh, dietitian gave my mother this food, this this strange food plan, and my father adapted to it. You know, he was told by the doctors, either you follow this food plan, lose the weight, or you will die. And my father, I was 12 when that happened, and my father died when I was 34. So he would not deviate for anything. He followed that plan of eating, and uh, and it enabled him to live a a good, comfortable life in spite of his heart condition. Uh, and for years I was puzzled, you know. I said, why can't I do that? Do I have to have a, I was always afraid I was going to have a heart attack because I was so obese. Um, I joined that club that he that he was a part of, and I just wondered why I could not do like my father. And when I read um, Dr. Silksworth's description of the drinkers and this particular section, it just became so apparent. My father was not a compulsive eater. He was a hard eater. Uh, his daughter, it's, I remember when I was moderate, when I used to go on those diets, and uh, I could give it up for, for special occasions. But the day came when I crossed over. I don't know when it happened. I be, I was no longer a hard eater, but I am a true low-bottom compulsive overeater. And the disease got worse and worse and worse. And the only thing that has saved me Thank God. Uh, are the twelve steps of Overeaters Anonymous. The day I walked into this fellowship, my transformation began, and the day I really uh, began to work the steps with the sponsor, my freedom began. And today I can proclaim, you know, that I, that I have been relieved of this merciless obsession, one day at a time. I don't take it for granted. Uh, today I'm willing to do the things that I have to do just for my freedom. And it, and it's not tedious. It's not laborious. Uh, it's a it's a blessing. Um, the wonderful people I have, the beautiful people my higher power have put into my life. I'm in, I'm living in a new community. I have found a new meeting, and um, even though I've only met them, we are bonded because we have something in common. You know, we've all been on that. On, on, we're all have been passengers on that ship and found a lifeline. So I'm grateful for this meeting, grateful for the readings. I'll keep coming back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Cynthia, would you like to um, uh, hit star one and share to complete your share from earlier? Thanks for asking. I appreciate that. Um, what I was going to say has been shared, so I don't feel the need, but um, really appreciate that. Just just um, knowing that I can't know what to do about my disease unless I know I have it. So thanks. Thank you. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Hello. Hello. Yes. Uh, this is Rachel from Jerusalem. 
Yes, please. May share. I share? Yes. Yes. Can you hear me okay? Yes, we can. Yes. So, um, and, and this uh, classification, I uh, thank you very, very much for the service, and thank you, everybody who is online and holding hands with me today. Um, uh, this classification is very, very important, and everybody said such very, very important things about. I, I think maybe I can maybe add one tiny little thing uh, from my experience. Uh, that it, uh, it's very confusing. So now, you know, that I've been abstinent for like five years, I I don't call myself yet recovered because uh, Bill W. didn't call himself recovered until 24 years later when he wrote about emotional sobriety that the old timers are still working on. And I have a lot of that to do. But about the food, uh, just to to specified that one of the intricate things for me was that I don't even have to eat that much in order to be um, far gone. Um, sometimes I listen to on Sunday to people telling their story and I think to myself, oh my God, you know, I became loony and crazy from five slices of bread. I didn't need to do all this all night binging so that I think, and I, when I think it's in the in the chapter about women that it says that women are gone beyond recall in a short time in alcohol. So I think also for me, for us, and for some other people I spoke to, you don't even need to do that much binging in order to really become totally. Um, um, uh, how should I call it, emotionally and spiritually absent. Uh, for me, right now, the action of raising my hand to my mouth when it's not my time to eat with an arranged, pre-prepared meal in front of me is binging because I'm using, because that motion with the hand to the mouth, that uh, I call it the hand-to-mouth resuscitation itself, even if it's stopping in, in a coffee shop to have coffee and I can maybe have a little bit of, of cheese with it, that's using because it's not a meal time for me and it's definitely answered to an emotional need. And uh, there's this, you know, this wonderful book, uh, Listen to the Hunger, and I have to ask myself, what am I hungry for now? But as far as the classifications that go, a, you don't have to eat an enormous, enormous amount in order to be the real thing. And B, becoming the real thing can be in the field of your, of your um, um, obsessive thinking and obsessive personality even more than what, what the food itself or what you eat or how much you eat or when you eat. And all these things are very important and they, they make it a lot more intricate. And in the abstinence within the five years, things that were perfectly all right for me became things that triggered. So we are into really deep honesty here. And I thank you so much for being there for me, and I enjoy the meeting. And have a God-blessed day, all of you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? 
This is Kelly Ann. Leah. Kelly and then Leah. Thank you. Thanks for um, chairing the meeting. I'm Kelly Ann, compulsive overeater. Um, I, uh, yeah, I really appreciate that paragraph. I definitely know that I've tried every other uh, thing that I thought was not as bad, quote unquote, or as extreme, quote unquote, as OA. You know, I wanted to be able to do the diet clubs. I, I tried several of those, and they would work for a while, and then they wouldn't work. And I also wish that I could do OA the way some people that I know do it. And it's not for me to judge, but I wish that some of the substances that I just cannot have, I wish I could have a little taste of those and be okay. But the truth is I can be okay that day, maybe, usually not, but maybe I could, but it just starts it going and it's it starts progressing and it's a progressive disease just like alcoholism and um i just need to accept the things that i know very well from experience which are i have to do a no way meeting once a week or more or i will not be able to be abstinent period so i'm just going to say out loud my abstinent date is starting over today and uh, this is February 11th, 2014, and it's starting today. And I'm really tired of cheating and trying to push the line. I'm just sick of it. And and I, I'm going to plan, uh, make a food plan today, and I'm going to text it to my sponsor. She doesn't require me to do that, but I know that when I've done that in the past, that's the kind of daily planning that helps me to stay abstinent, but especially doing the meetings and the step work. Thanks. And I pass. Thank you, Kelly. And Leah? Thanks so much, Julie, for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Yeah, so in this part of the big book, it's setting us up uh, to eventually learn in the next paragraph, beginning with the next paragraph, what a real compulsive overeater, what a real alcoholic is. Um, so they're describing, they're they're defining what a real alcoholic is not. So essentially, you know, regarding moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely. If they have a good reason for it, they can take it or leave it alone. This is basically describing a social drinker. A social drinker is not an alcoholic who can control her drinking. (laughs) She has a qualitatively different experience with alcohol. You know, to her, uh, someone who's just a social drinker, um, you know, alcohol is something to be taken or left alone. Um, You know, think of it as like alcoholics relating to orange juice, okay? (laughs) Alcoholics don't think in terms of controlling and hiding and sneaking and protecting their supply or planning and manipulating their, uh, their drinking of orange juice. You know, it's the same thing with social drinkers. Social drinkers don't think in those terms when it comes to alcohol. They don't think about planning and manipulating when they're going to drink. And they don't think about controlling and hiding and sneaking their alcohol. 
Um, that doesn't mean that, that they don't have the effect of alcohol. That doesn't mean that they don't experience uh, getting a little tipsy or a little giddy or a little warm or relaxed when they drink alcohol. It doesn't mean that they don't eventually slur their words. It just may means that when they get to a certain point of lightheadedness, a certain point of tipsiness, a certain point of um you know, slurring of the words or dancing on the table. <laughs> um, it's a sign to a social drinker that they've had enough. And so you know what they do? They stop. They stop. But to an alcoholic, on the other hand, the warmth, the lightheadedness, um, you know, the, the ease that they find in alcohol is not a signal to stop, but a sign that they're going in the right direction, <laughs> a sign of inebriation. Yes, that's, that's where I'm getting in. I'm going to try to maintain that inebriation. Um, you know, then they go on to describe um, the hard drinker. This is a person who drinks hard, as previously described, and there are consequences at hand. And you know what? When the pain gets bad enough, they stop. They just make a decision to stop, whether it's their health, uh, whether it's their job at hand, whether it's their marital life, their family life, they make a decision to stop. They make a decision to stop. The hard drinker can make a decision to stop. It is perfectly obvious as I review my eating career that I reacted very differently than normal eaters. I couldn't stop once I started. Normal eaters stop when they're full. Normal eaters stop eating when something happens uh, in their life. They're, they're, there's health concerns, um, perhaps um, you know, job concerns. Uh, previously mentioned, uh, someone mentioned a father having a heart attack. They make a decision on their own to stop. At one point or another, they get unease or discomfort when they overeat or, or some consequence occurs that's grave, and they make a decision to stop. You know, I am different than that. I am different than that. When I sit down to a Thanksgiving meal and everybody else is, is uh, getting stuffed and, and the buttons are popping on, the, uh, on their pants, uh, that's a sign for me that <laughs> I'm, I'm in the groove now. I'm going to keep going. Whereas the people around the Thanksgiving table, uh, you know, don't eat so much the next few days. I'm sitting a, in a car in a dark parking lot and digging my fists as hard as I can and as fast as I can into cellophane bags and bakery boxes because why? Because the phenomenon of craving has been triggered. The phenomenon of craving has been, been triggered. The big book is going to teach us that quantity is not even the defining characteristic here. The defining characteristic um, is the inability to stop once the indulgence begins. Compulsive overeaters or alcoholics might be able to limit their number of binges or even the quantities they consume. Maybe you have not consumed the quantities that I have consumed. The real question initially is going to be whether we get the phenomenon of craving once we start. And, of course, there's another side to that double-edged sword, and we'll save that for later. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. This is Julia, recovered compulsive overeater, and 
you know, as I look at the two types that we've talked about, the moderate drinker and the and the hard drinker, you know, that, that first time that I overate when I was about eight and I um, fast and furiously ate five bologna sandwiches as I was standing up in the refrigerator, um, I was not classified as either one of those. And, you know, over the years I've had ill health. I've fallen in love. I've changed my environment. Uh, the doctors told me that with my severe knee problems that the 150 pounds would, you know, that I was overweight would cause me to be in a wheelchair. None of those were enough to ha- um, allow me to use a willpower or whatever to stay stopped because, as some of the people have already said, I have that twofold illness, uh, that obsession of the mind and the allergy of the body. Um, I, all of these things I've had, and I, you know, I might have been able to go on a diet for a certain amount of time, but I wasn't able to stop what was going on in my head and my body. So I don't think, you know, from day one, at the first time I picked up at eight years old, I was neither a moderate or a hard compulsive overeater. Um, I went right into the next um, type that we're going to be talking about. With, with that said, would anyone else like to share? This is Larry. Hi, Larry. Go ahead. Hi. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Larry, a recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago. And I'll make it quick. Um, yes, in, indeed, you know, what, what everyone has shared is true, that, uh, you know, classifications are, are, really, are really a neat thing because we do have to determine, as it's already been said, you know, who are we? Are we a true compulsive reader? But once we, to our, you know, uh, fully concede to our innermost selves that based on, you know, that we, that we do, that we are indeed a compulsive overeater, a true compulsive eater, overeater, then what happens sometimes is we begin to analyze the classifications, and I do, and try to uh, see if I can, maybe I'm an outlier, if you will, you know, maybe I'm something outside of the norm, and I, I spent years trying to prove that perhaps to myself, not so much to others, that, you know, maybe I'm not. And I would gather evidence, however subtle, to say, eh, maybe I'm just different. And then I suffered in the disease. And, um, you know, and, and, I, and I think that's, that's worth noting that the power of the human mind to analyze, self-deceive, um, you know, to, to look at these things and, uh, and, 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 you know, because we are, we are either moving away from pain or we're moving towards pleasure and it was painful dreadfully painful for me to fully concede that I was a compulsive reader of the hopeless variety because to concede that for myself to classify myself like that why is that painful because my goodness don't I have control over my environment don't I is there something that I don't control this painful that I don't control and if I have no control over it what in God's name am I going to do about it? Sink in the quicksand, the flopping fish, allow myself to be saved, you know, by working these steps. That's what I needed to do. You know, quit debating, quit analyzing, quit, quit justifying and so forth, and just allow myself to be saved and uh, put my critical analytical mind in my pocket. And the rest is history, my friends. I was saved. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. 
it is time to close our meeting. Thank you to everyone who shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Larry, would you please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Larry, press star one. Okay, how about Janice? Would you please read our vision for you? Yes, be glad to. Thank you, Julie, for your service. My name is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, pass.